Hello and welcome to ROI Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 473rd show is Ed Broders, retired farmer and ROI history buff, and Jen Broders, teacher at Pleasant Valley Junior High, who will be talking to us about the Cedar County Cow Wars of 1931. Our history buffs are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. Brett, start us off. Oh, gladly. So, with the um, National Guard troops who get called in uh, to calm things down uh how local are they obviously they'd be from uh from the state but are these people who are potentially uh pointing guns at their neighbors or did they bring them in from two or three counties over so that it was less likely that anybody would know each other there's not a lot of information uh that we've seen that's out there but um what I can tell you is that, as far as I could see, that the closest units uh, were called out of Cedar Rapids. And so I think it's fair to say that there were probably no neighbors pointing guns at another, at another neighbor. Okay. Rick? The uh, uh, broadcast portion, you mentioned that scientists had found that uh, TV could be transmitted by livestock, if not only cows. Uh, how long before the war broke out in Cedar County was was this uh, discovered? And how did the Cedar County uh, uh, cow people, uh, uh, did they believe it or did they uh, not believe it? The, um, the knowledge of transmissibility from cattle to humans, I think, dates back to the 1890s. The actual testing regimen in Iowa had had been in place since, I think, 1924. And what one thing that I just can't figure out from any of this is that this program had been going on for several years. And in 1931, the state certainly had a pretty good handle on what percentage of the cattle were being sent to slaughter. And the really hard part for me is that, in the end, less than 1% of the cows that were tested in Cedar County actually went to slaughter. So what's really vexing about this is there would have been all this other knowledge from throughout the state, and as a Cedar County farmer, you would think they'd be looking at this and saying, well, the odds are probably pretty good that my herd is clean or almost. Uh, and that's a part I really can't figure out. I I think part of this also is um, the widespread broadcasting from Norman Baker. I, I don't think we can underestimate him, but um, there were also other pamphlets that were being distributed. There was this group called the American Medical Liberty League, which God knows what that is, but it sounds pretty official, doesn't it? But um, they had all of these really damning arguments that um, that talked about that that tuberculin testing itself could spread the disease and that TB tainted milk was still being sold to families mostly due to local government corruption. And so this, this guy written by Eugene Underhill, MD, who, whoever that is, um, 
he he's got an article that says the biggest lie ever told tuberculin tested milk a vile product promoted by falsehood well i think the falsehood is mostly by this guy but you know those things that came out and you know a lot of people would read that and think oh my god you know because back then i don't know how much people would question um, the things that they read that were passed out. I mean, I simply don't know. Today, we kind of look at that and most of us can poo-poo it, but back then, I don't know. I mean, it, it's really hard to say. Well, and it really does show us that even today, science can be overruled by a certain group of people who just certain, simply refuse to believe things. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the, we, we think of ourselves as as being so much better informed and so forth and so on but as as internet groups and so forth have pointed out very well over the last three years or so we are just as capable of being bamboozled and convincing ourselves that what we feel is more important than what we know um you know so i I think we're still there my question and and jen maybe this is more aimed at your research um so this event takes place. Um, there has to have been some impact on farmers emotionally, if not econ- and economically. How do things get put together? Because you know the the heavy duty part of of the Great Depression is is coming hell bend for election. At that point, you know we've got we've got Dust Bowl issues that are going to crop up very soon. You know so. So in some ways, this is, this is sort of a precursor of what's to come. How does Cedar County put itself back together um, at the end of this and start trying to deal with, with the next train wreck that's coming? I think I'm going to give this to Ed because, quite frankly, um, my research kind of stopped in September okay. of 1931. But apparently Ed may have some ideas here. Well, I think we just need to go back to the the reality in the end was that fewer than one percent of the cattle tested in cedar county actually went to slaughter so there was no real economic disruption in ter- or you know long learned long-lived political divisions or anything like that because for the most people most of the rural people were all in the same boat and this cost the state i think i saw the number of one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um, but at the end, it really was much ado about nothing. Um, and in the end, um, there were a couple of farmers who were um, tried afterwards for obstruction of testing. And um, they ended up, you know, they said a, a sentence not to exceed three years. Well, they were all out within a, a couple of months. So I think it was just kind of a slap on the wrist, just kind of, you were bad. You need to spend a little time in the pokey for this. And that was pretty much it and um uh dan governor dan turner says that you know you're you're supposed to be fighting for the principles of lincoln and washington but you're just you're not doing that that's not what you're doing you're you're not following um the idea of representative government you're following mob rule which is really not what those men stood for so you know i think that's and he was a had been a farmer himself so that's where we end up, I think. Okay. Brett. Do we have any sense of how uh, the farmers' um, dealings with 
other livestock diseases uh, influenced how they reacted to this. I'm thinking of the current uh, issues that are happening with uh, avian flu among egg laying uh, operations. Um, so was this kind of the biggest issue they'd faced in a while or were they, was this a death of a thousand paper cuts where, oh, there was this problem with one herd and, and now finally after we've gotten our feet underneath us, you're, you're telling me that I might have to kill my cattle because of tuberculosis. I don't know that there was much effect on any of the other livestock enterprises or if this had any real effect on veterinary health on the farm because in 1931 there were a lot of these diseases uh, amongst any species of livestock that there was no vaccination and there was no treatment because antibiotics hadn't come along. So it was, to a large degree, survival of the fittest. But what was known as far as tuberculosis was one of the best ways to avoid it was to give your cattle plenty of space and air. And there was also the other issue um, was pasteurization. If milk was pasteurized, this would not be an issue because it would kill the bacteria because when you pasteurize milk, you process it at a certain temperature for a certain period of time, and that kills all the bacteria. And this was not widespread at this point, at least not in more rural areas. It might have been in cities um, where you had larger dairies. Here, this was all pretty, you know, a one-man show kind of thing. So that made a difference as well. Yeah, the, the, the income part of the dairy, dairy cow was that you sold the cream, and this was a, the loss of the cow was a significant effect on your cash flow because you, no, you not only lost your asset, but you lost your weekly cream check. And this is kind of a side note. I, I keep going back to Norman Baker, but he had uh, in, his artic in his newspaper, the Midwest Free Press, he ran an article with the headline, Cedar County under martial law, Minutemen of Cedar County balk testers. And in the article, he said, Norman Baker of Muscatine, who had been and is a staunch defender of the farmers and the fight for their rights, resisting the testing of their cattle, today wired the true facts of the case to Governor Turner at Washington, D.C., and asked the chief executive to withdraw his troops from Cedar County. Well, you can say a lot of stuff in print, can't you? Always, and always and forever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, Rick, you're going to get the last question. Always the last. Uh, team, tell me, uh, Roosevelt's going to be elected in, in about a year from this. Did this have any uh, particular political effect uh to besmirch Hoover more than he was even besmirched before this and help Franklin Roosevelt uh, win the White House, for, at least from Cedar County? I don't know about Cedar County, but I know Roosevelt took Iowa that year. Yes. So it's yes. it's kind of an interesting, because that was a big flip. So, yeah, I don't know if it had anything to do with that or not. Ed, what do you think? I don't know anything about that first campaign, but if Roosevelt was selling some sort of uh, agricultural supply management program and price support system to control production and put a floor under prices, I'm voting for him. 
Well, and, and Calvin Coolidge uh, vetoed the McNary-Haugen Act twice for the price supports and selling grain to foreign countries. He, he nixed it twice. So that probably set some things up as well. Sure. Well, we would like to thank our guests for this 473rd show, Ed Broders, retired farmer and ROI history buff, and Jen Broders, teacher at Pleasant Valley Junior High, who talked to us about the Cedar County Cow Wars of 1931. The history buff for today's show were Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KLA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio, all one word, in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all of your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. ROI is recorded at Station KALA, St. Ambrose University.